Um, this is an unusual podcast. It's 4 p.m. and there's red wine on my table. Yeah, I'm drinking early. I have a date tonight, so mm. I'm going to lube myself up a little bit. That Choice sounded of words. worse. <laughs> Choice of words, please. Than I meant it to. Uh, we're Joe Roganing again. We're it's using the easier. table. You like it better at the table? I kind of like it better. I'm coming around to the table. It's just easier. I can have all my things. I can turn my head. I don't have to, you know. You know, yeah. But the problem I'm noticing with this table is that it's not a real table. It's just a piece of plywood on sawhorses. Uh-huh. So it has a lot of bounce. Yes. And whenever we actually use the table to set down a drink or to pick there's something some up, there's a lot of wobble. <laughs> there's some wobble. Yeah. No, we Mad should, wobble. We should just get a door. Yeah, you think so? That's I don't the, think a door would be long enough. Or would you rather the table be shorter? I think it would be fine if we just get a squatty door, like uh-huh. a really wide one. Oh, okay. All right. Because they make the standard man doors 30 inches. Yeah. It would be the same just width, but this table's rather long. Yeah, it'll just be like a foot shorter. Mm-hmm. That'd probably be nicer. Yeah, it's well, fine. Yeah. Welcome back to everyone's favorite podcast, Green and Lewis, where we discuss how to Talking rearrange furniture. our living room for the third episode in a row. <laughs> Maybe fourth. We've oh, been mentioning it oops. almost every time. Oopsie. Um, I did talk to someone IRL who was excited to hear about the couch. Would you like to give a quick review? What? Well, she heard on the podcast that we got a new couch from Wayfair, uh-huh. and she's in the market and was wondering... Who's couch shopping? Uh, a friend of mine. Oh. I don't know if she wants to be mentioned, but I know she'll hear it and appreciate it. So if you have any, uh, mm. you have a quick Wayfair review, you can write it off on your taxes if you mention it on the podcast. It's officially a review. You're doing it for your business papers. I don't think that's how that works. I think it is. I think it is. Why? Because we recorded on it once. Yeah. So then it's technically studio furniture. Oh, absolutely. Well, and you know, this is a this is a furniture review podcast. We have four episodes <laughs> to that effect. <laughs> so I really think it's true. If you want to save a little coin, spit it out. I mean, I've fallen asleep on it multiple times. So that's usually that's a ringing endorsement on my end. That's a good sign. At first, you were saying it was too firm. Yeah, it was. It's still very painful. The first day, I was like, "Ooh, oh no, my back, my back, it hurts." And then, uh, you know, it's broken in now. Yeah, a little bit. I'm worried that it's going to get too broken in too fast, and then it's just going to be lumpy. Yeah, we'll have to do a follow up review because the quality of the couch is fine, but it's not like um, it's not ironclad. So I have a feeling that these cushions could eventually become very flimsy over time. I think they're also easy to replace. You just buy some foam, shove it in the thing. It's just a zipper and a rectangle. Like, who fucking cares? Yeah, it's Ikea style. They're nothing fancy. No. Their box springs are not fancy. It's just memory foam in there. Yeah, it's not like, no, 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 no. I have to say, from my perspective, I really enjoy the couch. I like a firm couch. I'm glad that it's firm now. Uh over the last couple of weeks, we have established our positions on the couch. Also sounds bad. I si- yeah. Well. Can you- <laughs> Jesus fucking Man, I'm, Christ. Yeah, I'm having a hard time, oh, I boy. guess, with the sexual metaphors. I'm just tense. Um, but yeah, so I sit on, uh, on the uh, left-hand side of the couch, if you're facing it, looking at it. And Will sits on the right-hand side with it's his called- grandma blanket. With the grandma blanket in the chaise portion. I uh-huh. get the feet up. Okay. Yeah, I just put my feet on our table. Mm. Which, as I've mentioned before, is too long. Okay, much like this other table, we have two. We have two too long tables in here, and it irks me. It's anyway, fine. yeah, it's sh- fine. Are we done? Should we move on from the reviewing the studio <laughs> portion of the podcast? Yeah, I still want to. I need to get more pillows for the sides because it would be nicer. Like my head when I am sleeping on it, I'd need a little more cushion because it's a very firm arm. Uh huh. 
I need a little more cushion. Yeah, yeah. More pillows would be nice. Yeah. I'm always a fan of more pillows. More and bigger pillows. No bigger. I like hotel style. You know how at hotels you'll have like six pillows on your bed? And they're all too firm and they're all too large. I have six pillows on my bed at all times. Wow, really? Yes. How many do you sleep with under your head? Two. Okay. And then I roll over to the other one. The other set of two. Oh, why? Is that a temperature thing? Do you like it to cool down? If it gets too hot, I I also Mm. drool. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. So like, if there's a puddle, I just move over to the. You have moisture problems. You because then gets trapped side. in the beard, and then I gotta move. And I gotta wipe it off, and then move over to the other one. It's I really hope you're washing your pillowcases with some frequency. Yeah, I swap. As opposed to my t-shirts, I'm an advocate for constantly washing pillowcases at least, and I just, sheets in general. I just often. swap. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have multiple sets of sheets. See, I only have one. I have three, three sets. Oh wow. Okay. No wonder you do like 32 pounds of laundry at a time. Uh huh. Several sets of sheets in there. Um, also, Will is sick. It, I think Will's I think getting it's sick. Happening. He's drinking tea. I think it's happening. I think the sickness is happening. So we've traded now. I am in a manic spell, <laughs> and I have a very busy social calendar this week, which is why we have uh, an odd recording time. We don't mm. ever really record when it's light outside. Have we done that before? Yeah, Maybe and once. it was weird. And it was weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know. So we're in a weird position, and I'm talking a lot because I'm self-conscious about dead air. Uh, I'm always self-conscious about dead air, but it occurred oh, to me that this time, I don't have any time to do anything with this. Oh, you, so this yeah. is, you know, a we've been raw dogging it a lot lately, and uh, this time it has to be that way. So mm, mm-hmm. bring the fire. Come with whatever comes to your mind. We, we really got to just Are we fucking through. over the banana? Oh, yeah. Our Basel Miami Beach report. Fucking banana. Who cares? Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's your take on the banana? Who cares? It's fucking but ba- I mean, who cares? Like, I don't know. Yeah. It seems like the perfect Miami thing where it's like, oh, people are going to take photos of it, make the memes, and then even the people making memes are like, we're fucking over this too. I'm like, well, yeah, because it's... D- Who cares? Yeah. I don't know. It's a paritin. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Whatever. I mean, mm, I don't have you, a lot you, to say about it You said it you either. had a hot take the other day. I did? Yeah. Oh, well, like, I, I want to save it. I don't anymore. Maybe I just got worn down over time because I really... I'm on the same page as you. I just don't care. Um, the best thing I saw was that people... You know, on one of my group texts, we're just doing it in their apartment, which I think is hilarious. I think oh boy. having a collection of like conceptual art that you can just make very easily is something I've kind of always wanted. And someone ate it. Yeah, I know. That's dumb. Well, I, I have no idea if this is true because I saw it on Reddit. It could have been a photoshopped thing. But uh, on the last day of the fair, when they deinstalled the banana, somebody ran over there and wrote Epstein didn't kill himself oh, where yeah, it used I saw to that, be. Yeah. So, oh, you saw it too? Yeah. So it must have been real. Yeah, but people were having a lot of fun with it. I don't know. There were celebrities taking pictures in front of it. Uh, it made the whole world mad, which is like Maurizio Catalan's thing. You know, gold toilet, stupid yeah. banana. It's just troll art. And I don't really think, yeah. I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, it, it is just, you know, kind of tone deaf and egregiously like in your face. You know, when the political conversation is so much about wealth inequality and then you're like, fuck it, here's $120,000 banana plebs. And then people actually buy it. Like, I get why everyday people are outraged, why it's on the New York Post. It really is a bad look for the art world, you know? doesn't mean it's not is funny it? or whatever. It's I fine. don't know. It's like a joke held in abeyance, but at the, at, in poor taste. You know, it's like when you're like, ooh, should I uh, tell a dick joke right now? And you're like, hmm, I'll give it 20 minutes. Right, right. You're like, I'm going to tell it anyway. Yeah. And you're yeah. like, ah. And then the timing is just a little wrong. Because you've been thinking <laughs> yeah. about the delivery of it for too long. Yeah, right, huh? right. You haven't been paying attention to the flow of the conversation. Oh, no. You just interject with your bit. 
listen, don't come from me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my friend that you met, um, I guess I shouldn't say her name, but she used to work with me. You met her at a bar one time. You know who I'm talking about? She installed yeah. the banana. So uh, that was a fun post from her, just seeing, like, you know, it took three art handlers. One holds up the phone. Somebody's, like, ripping the tape with the right measurement. She's, like, holding the banana. Oh, Jesus and they're, like, fucking Christ. You know, because I think they had to do it every day. Oh, they just got a new banana? Yeah. How much is a banana? $10? How much could it be, Michael? Yeah. $120,000. Yes, actually. That's the other thing is that that was hack of us to even go there because that Arrested Development bit has now been done to death in mm-hmm. the comments section of Jerry Goodfellow's posts. everything, yeah. <laughs> No, but like I, I was oddly in a deep like um, Vice Magazine online has this thing called Garage and it's like an art art and culture related thing and they were they were serving up some interesting hot takes about stuff about miami in particular miami yeah like about like oh were the parties even as good as when it started do we even care is it about being cool and then apparently it's still people still are just hedonistic fucks when they go to there oh yeah i mean people are absolute maniacs in miami i've never been to miami and i don't think it's for me i don't really don't think i would have fun in that environment at all no i no. What was Vice saying about it? Oh, there was just people really... sharing anecdotes. Yeah, right. Because right, because Jerry Gagosian was interviewed in that article. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were also like they. I was scrolling through the history of it. There's a lot of things that I'm like, why are you interviewing these people? Like, why is there a verbal history of Lucian the right, bar? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I don't fucking care. But I still read it anyway. And then people who are now like millionaires going like, oh, it's so charming. It's so lovely to go there five times a week. I'm like, excuse. Right. right. What? What? Huh? Huh? Yeah. It was always like, um, it's the equivalent of like Davos or like these, you know, these weird Illuminati conferences that oh. Peter Thiel throws or whatever in Switzerland and everyone gets together. <laughs> it's the same thing, but for like, uh, for the failed daughters. I think the art world is for fail daughters and Wall Street is for fail sons. You know, I think that tracks pretty well. I don't know. If you're like a wealthy Jewess with too much money. Jesus Christ. I mean, let's be honest here. But like there was also like Alex Logsdale was like, when I was really broke for a time, I'm like, you've never been broke. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? When I had to live in a six bedroom apartment instead of an eight bedroom apartment. What that tells me is you were 24 and 25 was the year of your trust fund kicking in. So you were like really trying to scrape by on a hundred thousand dollar allowance a year. Yeah. Right. Right. It's like you tried to be a waiter and everyone was like, you can't be a waiter. You you don't serve. You are served (laughs) because you are terrible at this. You can't. That was a real part of his story that he tried to get a waiting job. He did. He was. He was a waiter for where like per se. No, at Lucian. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) But they were like, you're a regular, like, you're not, you're bad at this. You're just bad at this. Don't, don't try. Stop trying. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, perpetually wealthy people, they can't have jobs. They don't know how to do anything. Yeah, but. uh, You know, they don't have skill sets beyond, like, um, remembering to write a thank you note. No, they don't even do that. Other people do that. Yeah, exactly. God. Their skill set involves managing fleets of assistants. (laughs) kind of very poorly by managing i mean just making them afraid and and yelling at them them when they do a minor thing wrong yeah you know oh you put the wrong decoration on the christmas tree what sorry chloe you're dead oh wow they just take her out back 
old I mean, how long? Stuff. Yeah, how long is it until the, until that starts to happen? <coughs> the twenty-two-year-old at the front desk answered the phone with uh, the wrong inflection again. Art handlers, get the shotgun! Oh my god! <laughs> like, do you guys still have the circular saw? We need to have her lose Ooh, a finger. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She needs to learn her lesson. We have a chisel in the back room, John Wick style. She has to do it to herself. Oh my god! <laughs> Which, by the way, we watched John Wick one. We'll never seen it. He just jumped right in on John Wick 3. No, I saw the second one. Oh, you've seen John Wick 2. Yeah. You got any thoughts on John Wick 1? How did you feel about it? No one... A... No, I don't think I do. I think it's just fine. I think it's just a fine thing. I know that's... <laughs> yeah, that's okay. That's terrible error, but that's I'm like... It's not great content. But... It's not great, but... It's so thoroughly unmemorable, and that literally just happened. Yeah, that's true. That was what, like three days ago? Oh. Two days ago? I don't even know. But like, I don't know why anyone's doing anything, why he's got a puppy, why they got to kill a puppy, mm-hmm. like, and then oh, yeah. why everyone's suddenly protecting the stupid shit stain of a mafia son all of a sudden. They're like, no, we like John Wick better anyway, uh, so see, like, fuck it, like, let him, let him kill him. The Russian mafia son from John Wick is a good example of someone that would be at our Basel. Oh yeah, <laughs> they don't show that part of the movie. But they they go to Basel, but they only buy at scope. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, in the later two John Wick movies, there's lots of scenes at like art museums. They're fictional art museums, obviously. Oh yeah. But do you remember that? Like in the second one, he's that cutting down the Italian one, yeah. guy, and for some reason, there's LED lights around like all the Greco-Roman sculptures. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and that weird light laser level that pervades in the. Th- yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's supposed to be the hallway, the Grand Hall of the Met, and you're like, nope. Mm. Maybe in the, maybe in the fourth one, Keanu Reeves and uh, Lawrence Fisher and will go down to Miami and start wrecking shit in booths with Doubtful. silencers. Yeah. I, mm, mm. It would be a shame if someone did that in real life. Okay. <laughs> we are not. No, we're not doing that. I said it would be a shame if someone yeah, did but, that yeah, in but, real life. Now I'm making Will drink while he's sick. He just reached for the wine. <laughs> sure did. I was like, I heard the Joker tone. Okay, time to glug, 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 glug. See, you like the five five ninety nine? Yeah, you it's know. It's actually not bad. Uh, it's not that bad. We've replaced our... Uh, the Baron's been replaced. R.I.P. Baron de Montregard with... Uh, what is this called? Sierra Grande. Sierra Grande. It's, it's, the win- it's our winter winter wine time. It says wine of Chile. And mm. when you say Chile, you're like, ooh, a Malbec. And you're like, oh, no, it's a cab. What the fuck is a cab doing from Chile? Mm. I don't know. I, I guess wine from Chile is good. But I don't know anything about flavors. So. Malbec's nice and smooth. This is not. Mm-hmm. It is very hot. Yeah. Very boozy. Yeah, I know. I like I like a hot wine. Not a mold wine. But like a, you know, a metaphorically hot wine. I like I, I like my wine like I like my women. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm spicy really, and causing regret. Yeah. Wow. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really loopy right now. I've been on a tear for the last few days. I'm 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 up again, guys. Oh boy. Don't worry. Yeah. Giddy giddy mm-hmm. toddler. Giddy oh, yeah. toddler. No, I'm cycling faster and faster all the time. I wonder what that means for me. I used to feel like a stable and gradual, and now I just go. I go from mood to mood. It's like a three-day cycle at this point. So, oh god, I got about twelve hours left, left and, I'm I'm, and, then I'm, and then I'm back down below. It's a oh good thing boy. we're getting this out right now. Oh boy, mm-hmm. mm. what else has been going on? I had a very lovely weekend, actually. 
What? Uh, I hung out with Erica for like two days in a row. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since that happened. Friend of the show, Erica, shouts out. She mm-hmm. doesn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we, well, she came over here. Her and Ben came over here. You mm-hmm. were here for that. Yeah. We just had nice talking times. Yeah, surprise drunk time. And I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, well, a whole bottle of gin is a hell of a drug. Between three people. Yeah. Um, but then we went to galleries the next day. I don't really want to talk. I don't know. Was I don't have that much good? to talk I about. I feel it. like I looked at the list and went, no, thank you. Well, we went to the Lower East Side in like Tribeca, which I haven't done mm. that that jog in quite a while. Um, really years. I've never of. done the Tribeca jog. That's a new That's a new territory. Yeah. It, surprisingly, there's a lot of really small scale galleries in Tribeca. It reminds me of the scene in Brooklyn, like a lot of 321-esque things, oh. um, but they're like on upper floors of, oh. you know, more or less vacant buildings in Tribeca. Huh. They're not, you know, they're not truly vacant. They're very gentrified and fancy, but I get the sense that the property values down there are so high that like businesses and people can't can't really be there. And so you can get these tiny spaces, maybe at kind of a break until these buildings fill up with some, I mean, a lot of that, like it's been slowly quieting since, I mean, during the nineties, early aughts, Tribeca, boom, everybody. And then it's just like the, you know, same thing. Like it does a Soho thing, but like when there's less stuff and less like transit over there. Yeah. It's hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's an, hard to get around down there. It's an odd zone. I mean, we walked a ton, like we started at the Swiss Institute. So that's like basically alphabet city. Yeah. That's like first, uh, and, first or third. Uh, yeah. I think I want to say it was on first Avenue. It might've been on Avenue a, I can't remember. I it's like pretty far over there and up there. But so we started there and walked all the way down Ugh. through the Lower East Side to Tribeca. And then, over. and then we started to go up to the West area, like West Village almost. Yeah. You know, where the Lower East Side turns into the West Village. But all that shit was closed. All that shit runs the Chelsea schedule. This was a Sunday. What? So. What's over there? I don't even know. Uh, I don't know the names of the galleries. I was really just following Erica's lead. Mm. I mean, it was it was, it was was an interesting experience because I don't go to those tiny galleries very often. I'm so overexposed to Chelsea mm. because of working there that um, I don't know. I, I'd forgotten like what the vibe was like in little, little things. Well, yeah. And, and you know, now I'm an old man. I'm a Gary old man. Wow. So when all the people running these spaces are way younger than me and showing people way younger than me, it's kind <laughs> of interesting. Cause I used to just be, you know, the same age. Yeah. Well, when I was really more invested in the lower East side or like Brooklyn galleries and like going to their openings and, you know, trying to be a part of that, I was the right age. I was 24, 25, 26, which mm. is what all these people are. Um, so yeah, I don't know the, the work to me, I didn't really like any of it except for one artist who I'll talk about in a minute. Um, mm. but, it you know it had a youthful scrappy vibe. It's not very resolved work. It's just people like trying shit out, and most of it to me is very bad. But it's very youthful, and like it has a different kind of vitality that like seeing, um, you know, your fifteenth Richard Sarah cube mm. in two years. Just why even do that? You know yeah. that stuff's so dead on arrival to me that it, it was exciting in that way. But I didn't like the work necessarily. Hmm. Um. It gets a little scrappier and a little scribblier and a little like... Yeah. Huh. Well, the work's smaller in scale, smaller in resources. You see people just fucking around like... Um, it's that same kind of unmonumental again. Mm-hmm. But but it was a lot more painting-based. I don't know if this was just this cycle of shows or if it's always like that. But, hmm. you know, people doing interesting material things with paint. Some really conventional, just like... Seems like sort of illustrative figuration. 
is the vibe of the youth. Well, yeah. You know, I saw a whole show of, like, just Bernardi portraits and, you know, not, they're not, like, badly painted or anything. They're just not for me. That's weird. Okay. Um, the artist that I did really like um, that has a whole complicated story that I learned during the show was Matthew Wong. You know who this is? Oh, yeah. Is? You went to Karma. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, those paintings are incredible. Mm-hmm. He was a wonderful painter. I didn't know about him at all yeah. until the other day. Uh, you didn't know listener. about this? No. Oh. Um, he did. I had seen him in um, on Instagram accounts making fun of Jerry Saltz for like promoting his own career through this poor child's suicide. Yes. Um, so I knew that, but I didn't put two and two together. I didn't know the work, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, for the listener, Matt, Matthew Wong was 35 and he killed himself earlier this year. I don't know when. Um, so the show that's up at Karma right now is his last. It was like September. It was recently, really yeah. recently. Yeah. So it, this show had been on the books already and he'd made all the work. So it's yeah. his last show, last work. Um, but yeah, a really accomplished, like incredible painter. Self-taught-ish. Th- you know what? We were, ha- we were talking about this last night. That's all kind of a crock of shit. I mean, he got an MFA in photography, so I would hardly oh. describe that as being self-taught. I yeah, think they very funny. carefully word it on press releases as self-taught painter. But, like, yeah. I don't consider myself a self-taught photographer just because my degree was in painting. Um, yeah. Mm. It seems like there's this heavy emphasis on narrativizing his life because he's not around to object to it. And it's it's nicer to paint him as an outsider i don't you know that's more attractive or whatever he was also autistic so like they really lay heavy on oh he was autistic and self-taught and it's like you know wait how are you autistic and you get an mfa well a lot of autistic you can be high yeah you can be high functioning a lot of autistic people are really high functioning and especially like a school environment like works you know oh yeah you you can be awkward awkward and unsociable in an art school especially and like nobody would even notice that yeah, that's true. You know how often we joke with our own friends about, like, everyone in this room is on the spectrum, sort of, somehow. Mm. But we just didn't... We didn't grow up in a time when you were getting those kind kind of diagnoses. Yeah. Uh, you know, kids I grew yeah. up with, it was like, you they you were either so hyperactive that they just threw some Ritalin at you and yes. were like, calm the fuck down. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no such thing as, like... Oh, you're manic depressive, or oh, you're a little OCD. It was like he's just peculiar. Yeah. You oh, know? you're the weird kid. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. No, that was yeah. yeah. Um, but I was glad that I didn't really learn this information until like sort of after I saw the show or in the midst of the show because the paintings themselves are spectacular. Like he was great. Um, the aesthetic of them. Do you know the work well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The aesthetic of them is like a little. Shara Husey yeah. for my taste it's like a little choppier everyone's obsessed with late David Hockney and like Alex Katz and I, I've never really responded to that type of pop art like late period pop artists you know late Alex Katz is really good though he yeah it's I so mean good. he has the incredible economy and like um control of the light like I'm thinking of his like night paintings you know that are almost monochrome oh, like with like little flecks little of light room. showing through and it makes a tree he's really good at the one that was in the met in that little room yeah it's yeah, a yeah. really good one and then but there was a t- like before Gavin Brown West Side closed there was a big show of gigantic I remember this yes. oh num 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 yeah yeah no no I like I really admire that painting from um a very, I want to say classic, not in the sense of classical, but like painters that are drawing and painting simultaneously and more or less using brushes, like real fucking painters. 
You're not fucking around with silk screens and tape and spray guns and, you, you know, you're not really that processy. You're like almost like a, a Fairfield he's, Porter to me is the ideal of this type. He's of a wham bam, thank you, man. Yeah. It's lovely to see. Yeah, yeah. He's and you're great. like, he's 900 years old. I still see him walking around the neighborhood because he lives. He's got to live in Soho. Like, uh, yeah, probably. I've seen him many times over the years. You know, I haven't seen him. I don't go to Chelsea opening so much anymore. Except the place I work, but uh, he used to like be at openings all yeah. the time. I mean, I remember seeing Alex Katz out and about. That might be less true. I mean, I'm sure he's getting. You know, he's up there in years. He's, he's got to be ninety four. Cl- he's he's ninety four. Are you kidding me? Ninety two, ninety three, ninety four. Oh, see, I thought things. he was on the younger and meaning in his eighties. Oh no, no, he no, he's very old. Um, but he's still spry. He's skinny as a fucking rail, but he's spry as yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. His little Barracuda bomber. He has like a right. Like a flight jacket. You know what? Weirdly, I mix him and Bryce Martin up because they're both like similar gray old men. They're very different artists and very different vibes. And I think Bryce Martin is much younger. You ever seen a picture of Alex Katz? Yeah, of course. I've seen Alex Katz in real life. Yeah, he's bald. I know. I know. It's just He looks like Elmer Fudd, but with wrinkles. It's more of a just, I don't, you know, I don't care. Bryce All Martin these... looks like he's... He, you know. Like drunk Santa Claus. I know he has the he has the stringy hair of yeah yeah of the drunk Santa Claus from Nathan for you. Yeah, pretty Tell, much. <laughs> telling children to buy a zoinket or whatever. Oh boy. <laughs> I mean, in a certain sense, that is what the art market is. Buy this Bryce Martin, or you're a baby. <laughs> wow. Okay. And all the collectors run to Daddy and say, "Yes, I have to have this Bryce Martin because Larry told me I was a baby." Well, or rather Cheryl, the art advisor told me. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) Lisa told me that I wasn't a man unless I spent this much money. Okay. All right. Well, she gets her 10 then. Thanks. Okay, Rain. You can have the painting. Rain. I'm just trying to think of like bad Burning Man people names for young collectors. Oh, Rain double N at the end. Okay. Got it. Mm Mm-hmm. Oy. Uh yeah, anyway. Um Matthew Wong, yeah. Loved those paintings. Like they're they're that just show's still up. That's wild. That's has been, up, it been for up for a while. while. M- yeah. Maybe they just look kind of probably as a memorial type thing. I, they might have just had it span his death till the end of the year. Probably they're you know? probably just like everybody else going, We don't want to hang another show in December. Fuck this. No, 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 no. We're not doing that. Yeah. Because um, everything's like up till December twenty fifth, and I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. No at, rush. No rush, no fuss. Right. At this point, no, I don't think anybody's installing anything. Mm-mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Good artists. It, it, it's rare to like look at look at paintings and go, oh, these are like pretty uncomplicated. They're not very thinky paintings, um, but they're materially interesting and fully they're realized fine, yeah. and satisfying things. Yeah. They're, I mean, um, they're not in my... In my alley, or on my alley. No, me neither, me neither. I don't look at those paintings and think like, oh, I could do something with this, or I will think about it later. They're not in my vein at all. Um, But I I think of, you know, there's a lot of painters that I really respect that are in this vein again. Like, Dana Schutz is one of these people where I'm like, these are just, like, so well done. How do you have this, like, degree of virtuosity? Where it's like, oh, bitch, you did it again. Right. You know, how dare you? You keep you keep cranking away, and then you still figure out ways not to be bored, and you still do. Th- you fucker! Right? How do you do that? It's in, it's a lot of imagination, and 
I think for me on a formal level, it's because I can't draw that I'm so jealous of these people. Like I have, you know, I have to more or less work from a kind of design or a plan and I use a projector and like my pain is really inorganic in their bones. Um, I can't like whip something up. I can't conjure like that. And I really get the sense that there are certain types of painters that, I mean, they just start and it just goes. Fuck. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how that happens. I would love to know if someone could be like, yeah, this is just how you do it. And it's like, no, that's not how, no, that's not how it works. I think it just depends a lot on how you're trained. Like, I think almost all the people we know that went to Tyler are like this. None of those, yeah. none of those people are invested in, um, like, procedural making of a painting. It's process-based and it's from your imagination and you just use a brush and you just start you do drawing and then that yeah. is your warm-up and then at, you do it at the most like, at the most you do a drawing but in general you just start but the you painting, don't draw you know? like on the thing you just like practice drawing and then you're like okay i got some colors and then let's go and it's like how the fuck yeah I, I think it just depends on who your teachers are and and probably like what kind of work you gravitate to in the first place like i didn't care about bernard i didn't care about Fairfield Porter until much later like I didn't like those type of paintings I I responded to abstract expressionism so I saw like a Helen Frankenthaler and I was like that's dope I want to dump a bunch of like colored soup all over the floor like that seems like a lot of fun and it and Hmm. the de-skilling aspect of art appealed to me immediately because I didn't want to have to you know I'm a lazy bad person and I was like (laughs) I don't want to have to learn anything you know I... I developed a technical appreciation later you know, and for me, it was through printmaking and stuff. So it just, you know, it developed along a more um, systematic line. Mm. No, I fully think I do not know how to paint technically. Um, yeah, like I think I, I think I know ish. I don't know how to do it actually. Well, I don't know how to do it intuitively. Is that maybe what you're describing? Because yeah, I like, do think you know how to do it, but I don't think you have the simultaneous um, like hand-eye intellect coordination that it oh, takes no. to conjure. You know? Oh, no. I'm talking about like doing fat over lean and like paying attention to that kind of shit. Oh, and, I like, see. Making sure you're mixing. Like, I was like, I don't know how to do that. Like, I really don't know how to like do real basic technical shit. Well, I know that I don't really I, mean, I kind of don't give a fuck and it's not really my problem. Yeah. So I, would, mm-hmm. I was going to say the same thing. Like, I know that stuff a little bit. I don't really know that stuff. And I also ultimately just don't really care. Okay, I'm like, oh, a bunch of turpentine makes oil paint, Matt. Like, that's probably not archival, but whatever. Fuck it. Yeah. But nobody cares about that type of thing. No, uh, you know, not, I think yeah. I think artists that are like, um, I only run up to into that when I'm like, why won't that fucking dry? Oh, I did bad thing. Right. I did bad. Oopsies. Yeah, I don't know. Our, our artists, artists like that are very academic in the worst sense. Not academic in, in like a philosophical, intellectual way, but in the like, um, what's that school in Philadelphia? The like Philadelphia Fine Academy? Arts Academy yeah. or whatever people that uh, paint like um, you like it's still eighteen ninety. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna party like it's eighteen ninety nine over here. Those type of people Get are like out. fat yeah. over lean, and it's like yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, I don't know. I like to make a thing nice, but like... I don't give a fuck. You know. Yeah, you've stopped giving a fuck. You used to be more like me. You used to be more anal retentive. And you've kind of thrown that out the window in your practice a little bit. In no. a good in a good way. I know what's right, but then... Uh, you can even be doing it right, and then it's still something is weird. 
because we're working in spaces that are not temperature controlled and right. like light happens or then the skylight leaks on your shit and you're like, oh, yeah. well, fuck it. Never mind. Who cares? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a good example of that is like you're not super invested in touch ups. Like you, you, you will do that a little bit or sometimes not at all. If it's egregious. Right, right. Yeah. I'll go in. Yeah. At this point. Even if there's a little bit, I'm like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. On the other hand, I sit there with a razor blade and like fix every edge and like go in with a teeny tiny brush and like, you know, yeah. Who gives a shit? I don't know. I th- I, I think the devil's in the details, at least for me. I, I learned this. Um, we had a professor, mutual professor named Royden, Royden mm-hmm. Watson, shouts out, look up his work. I don't know if he's still even making art, but um, mm. he was like a Trump Loy painter. So I really remember him in like painting 101 style classes telling me that like, the way you tighten up a painting and make it convincing is all in these little things sort of at the end, often having to do with edges. But just like, you know, if you're painting a still life or something like don't forget the slight glare on the edge of a glass or like don't forget to paint the screw that you can see on the table. And it's really true that that kind of stuff like it yeah. crisps up a painting. It solidifies your intention. So that always stuck with me. I do that. I think that is true. But I'm admiring of people that don't need to but sometimes you just go to that level. Also, don't make sure that you don't do that in the thing. Like, I'm not trying to back clean up. Like, I never like going back and having to be like, fuck, that's like... At that point, I just go, scrap it. No, let's try it again. Well, yeah, it can become... Um, it can become a convenient excuse for not really thinking or not really working on the painting, but keeping yourself busy uh, by, like, doing infinite little projects on a painting instead yeah. of making the painting good from the from the beginning yeah you're like you're oh like, I'm, I'm i'm working on it i'm finishing it and you're, you're like, like oh it's yeah it's fucking done it's dead mm-hmm. that used to be my favorite rejoinder like oh the horse is dead you should stop kicking it it's really like she's it's well baked it's burnt yeah take it out just shoot it it's already dead you just need to shoot it right old yeller oh, has yeah. gangrene and we already cut the arm off so like whatever mm-hmm. yeah we're taking chloe in the back room right now yeah sorry chloe Zoe, you're up. <laughs> Great, I'm not an unpaid intern anymore. You haven't been to any shows lately, right? You haven't seen any art in a minute. I thought I did see a thing. Did I see a thing? Oh, I went to MoMA by myself. Oh, that's right. Did we ever talk? Moment. Did we talk about that on here? No, we talked about when you, you went. I know, yeah, I, we yeah. talked about it when I went. But you, you didn't have as positive of a reception of the... No, it's a fortress. I don't like it. You don't like the layout of the architecture? It's just, no, I actually do. I think the way that the building works to dampen sound of full galleries and like. I didn't notice that in my run, but you are right. The maziness of it, like somehow, like, it's not like you can do a loop. You can't just go around and do a loop like you used to. Like I I was like, where's this place that I missed part of a wing and was like, oh, I got to go back. Right. But that also means that you're not just following the same shitty loud tourists over and over again. Like everyone can kind of splinter and there's more wander room and all the the choice of materials in the building. Yeah, yeah. Soften a lot of the things like lower ceilings. Like there's even though the atrium's still there, like that's its own like separate cave now. It does. It does feel much separate from the rest of the space, which I think is a good thing. Oh, it's lovely. It, it fits. Um, It fits the work that's in there. It'll serve it better, I think, yeah. that that you're not in this, like, gargantuan stadium kind of environment. Because it yep. always felt like the space opened up high 
too much and it does yeah it feels a little closed in now it's better yeah feels like more of a gallery less of an atrium yeah i don't i don't know how i feel about the sixth floor just being a restaurant in the new side i was like yeah fuck but whatever i don't give i also don't give a fuck yeah i know who cares um did you see anything you liked though that you hadn't seen before that was trotted out during that Uh uh-huh i mean i was also they gotta gotta work on the crowd control a little bit yeah, they're never going to do that. I think Someone scratched the Andrew at just like... Oh, really? Like full just jacket, yeah. zipper flying into the side. I'm like, that poor hermetic woman spent so long and you just went... <laughs> yeah, I know. God damn it. Um, what do we got here? What I keep waiting here? for the moment that we're going to see like a Andrew sculpture behind an implausibly large plexiglass box. You know how like the Rauschenberg goat mm-hmm. has that like giant vitrine around it? For the same reason that like people yeah. walk on it and fuck it up, I'm waiting for the day that there's like an entombed Andruit. Uh, it would totally ruin the experience of the work and those like, oh, beautiful yeah. surfaces and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's only a matter of time. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. There were some things that I was like, "Oh, good to see." Like it. Like, this is my favorite Wolfgang Tillmans of all time. Oh, we're looking at a Wolfgang Tillmans that's like a... That's a relatively large print, right? It's one of the... Like 20 by 30. Oh, okay. It's a it's 20 a by 31. Guy. It's like a guy in a bathtub with a tree behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Early. Early, early. That was part of a broader installation, right? Yeah. The, the whole wall of his. Yeah. Because the contemporary is like, hey, are you are you a color? Are you a gay? Right. Are you a lady? Well, we're going to mix it all up and you're all going to have your own separate galleries. And you're like, okay, so I don't think you you got the point of like that whole intersectionality memo. Right, right. But like, okay, you, you're, we're trying. Yeah, ish. yeah. Yeah, we're trying, we're trying to pander, but we're also doing segregation for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite section <sighs> of the contemporary was actually like the downtown scene, like the 80s stuff when they had that like Keith Haring and there's a Basquiat in there and. It was yeah. all about the like trendy, marketable people from the eighties. I was like, "Yeah, this stuff is nice." It's funny that you like, I don't know, devote a whole gallery to this, and it's but... right when he first fucking walk yeah, in. Yeah. But, and then the Martin Wong is like hidden, like you got one eighty to look behind you. Oh yeah, and I'm like, mm. oh, I should have said this before. The whole time when uh, I, I was going to that Matthew Wong show on the way there with Erica, she kept referring to him as Martin Wong, and, and she like, kno- she knows the difference, but yeah. it was just like a slip of the tongue. And I was like, "Oh, cool, a Martin Wong show. This will be nice." And blah blah. And blah. you're like, this and I walked is... in, I was like, "I've never seen Martin Wong do like blue before. I thought he was like the brick red, you know, yeah, silver and like brown." Uh huh. Then you're like, uh, 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 and because uh, and yeah. we were even talking about the artists in particular, but because they had both died early, like I think Martin Wong died of AIDS, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, we were just talking. A, uh, past each other a lot about two different Who, people yeah. <laughs> and not realizing like what was going on both of you were wrong yeah both of we were both simultaneously like right and wrong i don't know you didn't get the pun both of you were wrong oh sorry is that bad no that was great i blew it that uh, that one's on me fans how dare you uh chalk one up on my side for a blown bit i think it's a uh, ten thousand to one now Get wrecked. <laughs> no, I mean the I like the Central America Latin America show. Oh, you know, I didn't really see a lot of that. I was I was in a hurry when I went and I kind of breezed through the special oh, stuff. Oh, quickly. that was that was well done. I liked the photography in there. I mean, that's mostly what it was in my memory, right? The Brazilian photographer. No, maybe this is a different, a different show. Okay, 
No, that's different. Well, what kind? Oh, wait, right, right, right. America, it like, had a ton of walls in it, and it was a lot of like constructivist yeah. abstraction. That brand of South American like mm, paintings on panels. Yummy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought yummy. you might like that. Yeah, oh, it was lovely. Mm-hmm. That was a good like wall device. The like floating 1950s. It was very wall. 50s. Yeah, yeah. Like there was a there was a gap on the bottom Two of the feet. wall, and yeah. they didn't touch the ceiling, so they yeah. were all sort of Guggenheim feeling with the float. Yeah, yeah. everything was on like weird angles and stuff. I yeah. loved that. I was mm-hmm. like, why can't we go back to that? Yeah, Can that... We go back to that. Mm. Really? No one makes anything that small anymore. That's true. Yeah, you can't have like a thing that almost touches the top and the bottom like of a floaty wall it always just reminds me of school and school studios and like school crit rooms and stuff even when it's like the wall starts two feet off the ground yeah i don't know i I, it does feel like a pin board yeah i don't know i don't really have like a good reason for this i think i've just been indoctrinated into the like neutral uh neutral white cube Mm. club but i really don't like like architectural affectations like that they're distracting to me they don't add anything they're like charming for museological stuff yeah it makes sense that's what i'm saying like you know. but i don't i wouldn't want to i feel like yeah hanging my paintings on walls like that would bother me but i feel like there's a couple like there are things that would like benefit from it like what like imagine like um um gotta think about it buying myself time um imagine if you had like um no dead air no dead shut air. up shut up no dead air imagine if you did have like a what's her face like a fuck what's the what's the name sarah greenberger <laughs> rafferty on like that style of thing where it's like it's already weird oh already okay. weird shapes and i mean i guess more weird shapes yeah it would depend what it was around like i feel like it's a it's a good device maybe for group shows or whatever yeah I like mean, when it's affecting everybody's work or you can make interesting juxtaposition juxtapositions happen. there was that quaitman show that was kind of that with the yeah, burlap yeah, totally totally which that would look good on a little windy wall right hey whatever happened to her i feel like quaitman's been out of the scene for a couple of years now. Oh, no, I haven't some... seen a show of her in a while. Yeah, not in New York. She so. did the Guggenheim uh, during the Hilma off Clint show. Yeah. Um, is it Clint or Klimt? You have the catalog. Hilma off Clint Barton? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, I think it's Klimt. Hilma off Klimt. No, but Klimt nope. is Gustav Klimt. It's Clint. I think it's Clint. Okay, Clint. Just say Hilma. Hilma. Why, okay, during well, during the Hilma show. Sorry, I'm it's the manic man. Just say uh, my just brain say is firing. Everyone a lot knows of what you're talking right about. Now. So yeah, she did the she did the upper portion of that show, and that was like just fine. It wasn't particularly engaging work, um, and even her like little written thesis that she did and like oh, put you up read on that. The, well, yeah, because because in her case, it kind of seems like part of the work. Mm. You know, she uh, does a preface for the chapter. And it was kind of bullshit. It yeah. was like it was like oh, I just like looked at her stuff, and I think it's pretty good. And so here's like some things that look similar. And you're like the, oh, the Guggenheim okay. curator who I'm trying to get in good with for my initial inevitable retrospective in this place uh, asked me to respond to this work. So I am because I can't say no, right? Because I want this show, <laughs> you fucks. So yeah. this is my trial run. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. Yeah, that's very much the uh, barely subtext of a thing like that. Yep. 
just they asked me to write this and I ran out of time. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that. Mm. Oh, I still haven't seen. I haven't gone to the Whitney to see Rachel Harrison either. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that either. Uh, Oops. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. Oops. Sorry. Well, you know, the Whitney's only a spring and summer museum to me. I don't like going over there in the cold. It's cold. Oh, interesting. Like I went to go see the war. Remember when the Warhol show was yeah, up last yeah. year? I tried twice. Because it was so because I was I was poor I was uh-huh. a poor because I was in finance, um, so I had to go on free night. So the first time, oh, I that's went, a disaster. The first time I went, it was the line was so long, and then the next week I went back again because it was colder. So I was like, "Fuck them! I'm gonna kick my way out." Yeah, yeah. And then it was still disgusting, but it was freezing, and yeah, I don't like going there in the winter time because I like to also like escape the galleries and walk up the outer stairs and that's not fun in the winter yeah right no that's true there is an outdoor element to that museum experience that's nice um yeah i just i just haven't seen it unfortunately Mm. i don't know i would like to i guess but i spend enough time around rachel harrison works wink Mm. wink um listen do you want to talk about Watchmen for the end of it would you be into that fine okay um, I've said my piece. I've already dra- no, I know, I know, drafted but... the the master. Uh, uh, what's it called? The master thesis of how things are going to happen or what things are. But, yeah, you know. yeah. So we're we're talking about the HBO series Watchmen. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. Um, I know that for everybody listening to this, you guys know that I'm a, an evangelist of the Watchmen comic, but uh, and you probably have his HBO Go password. So yeah, you might. You <laughs> most people do. <laughs> um. But you should check it out. It's uh, legitimately one of the better things I've seen television-wise for a while. The the TV situation has been waning in re- in recent years since the end of like Mad Men and Breaking Bad. Like, you know, we had a we had a nice golden age going, and then it got really mediocre. But I think Watchmen is good, and it's uh, worth a watch. And that, that being said, spoilers because there's one episode left in the season. Um, the eighth episode just aired last night. And yeah, if you're not cut off, sorry. Yeah, this is not going to make any sense if you're not cut off, uh, caught up. Just cut off the podcast right now. Bye bye. Um, but, but like and subscribe first. Um, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, uh, but yeah, so we got to the eighth episode last night, and this show is leaving like thread after thread after thread unspooled at the end of every episode. But you finally get some things explained in episode eight ish. Yeah. Uh, so we should be clear, like what what we mean by that. Uh, the most recent reveal in episode seven was that Doctor Manhattan is alive on Earth, and that um, he occupies the body of Sister Knight's husband. Mm-hmm. And then episode eight was a great, you know, nonlinear episode, an homage to the fourth issue of the comics, where you're kind of cutting back and forth between times, between times uh, from Doctor Manhattan's perspective, more or less. Um, and the plot kind of unfolds from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and? I don't know. You're staring at no, me weird. I'm that, listening. Uh, 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 um, this is... My brain's like, what? Hmm? Yeah. And so and so finally, at the, end of the, at the end of this episode, you get to the point where Dr. Manhattan is killed. No. He's not dead. He's trapped. Well, he's they, zapped they, away. They, they like... Luigi's mansion suck him into a giant vacuum. Yeah, yeah, that's They true. take the blue man and they put him in the blue man vacuum. The 7th Cavalry, the racists, the Rorschach racists, are trying to steal Dr. Manhattan's powers. So they suck him up. 
Yeah. You know, and it's unclear what his fate will be. Even um, though he could have killed the guy who's whatever. Well, we we should we should talk about that. I mean, like the eighth episode is interesting and really well done. But uh, what I was saying to you last night is that it really misunderstands, like, or it plays fast and loose with the rules of how Doctor Manhattan works, right? Because you know, yeah. if you've been watching the it's show, swampy, you know by yeah. now that like like Manhattan is e- experiencing time. T- time simultaneously so he's in the past present and future all at once feeling it all yeah he's he's feeling it he's feeling his whole life at the same time but what happens in the show is there's that interaction with sister knight where she asks a question of her grandfather in the past past through dr manhattan which is not he's not a clairvoyant he's not like like the next thing sh- he should have just been like, "Call me now for your free tarot reading." And yeah, you're like no, bro, like that's not how you work. It made no sense that that's a selective ability, and that he's never done that any it, before up until that point. Yeah, and then ostensibly we'll probably never do it again. I mean, it was he's probably going to be dead. Purely a plot device that just like jumped out and was like, "Oh, did you guys read the script too? Mm-hmm. Is that the script over there, like sitting in the background of the shot?" It, it, it was very artificial and took me out of it. Oh, well. Well, re- reason being because it's it's directly established in the comic that Dr. Manhattan is not omniscient. He says that. And he says multiple times that he can't affect the past, present, or the future. He's just experienced. I'm just feeling it all. Like, that happens so much in the comic book that, you know, what they ended up doing and making a causal link between Sister Knight with somebody else through him yeah. is is not a is not a possibility. Um, so I just want to go to the like real, real barn burner of to the, the to the meatiness. All right, well, Lady True well, is the. Hang on, we what? we I... need to we need to explain where episode eight leaves off for your theory to be. Oh, cogent. Not really, but yeah. I mean, if you're watching the show, you kind of already know. Like, so you know, there's a couple loose threads left. One is what's going on with Looking Glass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. is he? Um. What is Lady True up to? What's her connection to Adrian Veidt? And potentially to Dr. Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's going to happen with the contemporary Watchmen in this situation? Sister Knight and all, and the like, mm-hmm. Russian guy and all these other figures. Like, How are they going to factor into this ending? Okay. Clearly Lady True is doing something with her um, Millennium Clock, but we don't know exactly what. Mm. Clearly the Seventh Cavalry wants... Dr. Manhattan's powers for some reason. For racism. For racism, because they want to do more racism. (laughs) Uh, Wow. And so that's where we are. But what what occurred to Will last night, which is an incredible realization, is we were trying to figure out... Where did these people come from? What is the link between Lady True and Vite or Lady True and Manhattan? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what is it? Lady True is the unborn baby of the comedian... That is killed in the bar that Dr. Manhattan could have stopped, but he didn't do anything. So she pissed. Right. This is a scene you do not see in the show. This so if you the... haven't read the comic, what happens in the comic... I saw it in the movie, so I don't know what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, in, the, mean, mo- in the, the movie is pretty true to the comic for the most part anyway. But yeah, there's a scene in Vietnam uh, where Dr. Manhattan refuses to save the life of a pregnant woman, even when he could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're right about is that Lady True is the unborn baby of said pregnant woman. So maybe he saved the baby. We don't know. So Manhattan probably saved the baby. 
Maybe. And Lady True has a vendetta now. Maybe against Dr. Manhattan. We don't really know. That connection is still unclear, but that was an amazing insight. Maybe Adrian Fight found the bleeding lady and was like, Possible. Yeah. Um, It's unclear based on what I know whether or not Veidt was in Vietnam, but like, Mm. it's not impossible that he could have been. He's a rich guy, you know, with his own agenda. Wasn't he with the peoples doing the things? At yeah, I think yeah. I, th- I think oh. it's implied that he's in the United States during the Vietnam War, but oh. you don't really know. Yeah. They never tell you that. Mm. Um, one of the reasons this makes extra sense, too, is that in last night's episode, in episode eight, there's a ton of interactions between Sister Knight and Dr. Manhattan when they first meet and fall in love in a bar that is the same bar from this pregnant murder scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, so he's going to the place where he knew bad things happened. Yeah, yeah. You return to the scene of the crime of your losing humanityness, yeah, mm-hmm. to try to become a human again. Exactly right. Oh, I yeah. just worked that out from my head right now. Yeah, but, yeah. All right. But anyway, so she's also cloning her dead mama in her daughter clone. Are, are you sure about that? I think that the daughter clone is a clone of Lady True. What? Yeah. No, she not says of it's her, her mom. mother. Oh. Oh, I don't fucking know. I think you might have misheard that. I'm pretty sure that the the Lady True assistant is a clone of herself. That she's feeding mommy memory to? I guess. I don't know. That's some weird twist. Yeah, there's, there's... There's a lot of like things that you go... When you, once you start putting the dots in a row, you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. This dot's a little too big. This, well, this one's a little too small. It doesn't make sense. This is a classic Damon Lindelof show where really it's just twist after twist after twist after twist. And I, I find it hard to imagine that they're going to really pull it off. Like, You mean there's not going to be a nice bow on it? There'll be a nice bow on it, but there'll be a lot of loose things that upon further investigation will be like, well, that's well, that kind of a stretch. Really work, that yeah. doesn't really make sense. Yeah. Um, uh, I did read a thing today about the eggs. You know how uh, oh, yeah, there was a cut article about it. But eggs constantly show up in this show um, as visual references. Like there's a moment in the first episode where somebody cracks an egg and the little red portion of the yolk makes the um, blood drip similar to the blood drip on the smiley face that you see all over the comic. Um, but I guess there was a moment that I don't remember. But uh, when Dr. Manhattan is still incognito as Cal, Sister Knight's husband, um, and there's an interaction with the grandfather character who's integral to setting off this whole sequence of events where Dr. Manhattan cooks him an egg and he eats it. When? In one of the earlier episodes. I don't remember that because it's kind of a nothing thing. I mean, I'm yeah. sure you see it happen, but there's all this other exposition and plot happening at the same time. Huh. Um, which I think is relevant because when Dr. Manhattan in the current episode creates that egg and you asked me last night, well, why does he drink in the egg that he created? Well, didn't I say like it's just this, the same cycle of power? Uh, I, I think it's a symbolic like symbiotic circle type of thing of like he can create life and reconsume it and stuff. But during that scene, he's explaining that his powers could be theoretically transmitted to another person. Yeah. So you do remember the scene when the grandfather character says to sister Knight when they first meet i'm dr manhattan and it's so obviously like a lie you think mm. but i'm wondering if at some point it will be revealed to us that he does have these powers in a limited way or in a full-on way and who give them to dr manhattan gave them to him the old man the old man oh. yeah to what end i don't really uh, know don't know that, you okay. know 
I mean, also the elephant was made by him, somehow stolen from Planet Utopia. Oh, right. That was your other realization that was really smart. There's a, there's a moment a few episodes back where it's revealed that Sister Knight has been hooked up to an elephant no, to the deprogram last episode her. before this one. So, okay, episode seven. Yeah. Um, she's been hooked up to an elephant to deprogram her uh, from tripping out on too much memory. Nostalgia pills. Nostalgia pills. Um, memory nonsense. Right. And your speculation was that the, the elephant probably came from Europa. Yeah. Where Dr. Manhattan created an entire, like, ecosystem and civilization. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Adrian Veidt says, oh, an elephant told me. And you're like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. How do you know about an elephant? Yeah. It's occurring to me now that it's it's really hard to talk about this show because it is it is so intricate. You got to know some stuff. Like, you, you, not only do you have to know the comic, I mean, it's hard to describe even, like, setups for things and no, payoffs for yeah. things because it, it does make, you know pretty good internal sense but it's really experiential and very non-linear but also i don't know i'm only a casual consumer of the original thing but i at least know of it enough where i'm like you got to pay attention to the details and then it's pretty easy like well yeah you know um you were polite about it but you were sort of just dragged into watching this show because i want to watch it and you're in the same room more yeah and i'm on the phone and, yeah. but i'll still look up and be like did you see that and you're like what i'm like you didn't see that thing but that's a really interesting point that like thank god you're a casual i'm not invested you, i just want the puzzle to make sense well but but thank god you're a, a a casual um receiver of the original material again mostly through me just blabbering about it constantly mm-hmm. um because I cannot imagine somebody watching this show and having little to no knowledge of what happens in the original book. Like, mm. it's come to rely on that material a lot more than I expected by the end. Yeah, we've got squids and shit. I don't know. Well, not only the squids, but like, I didn't, I didn't think when we first watched this show, you know, you saw the first episode yeah. in LA with me. Um, I didn't think they would do anything with Dr. Manhattan. Like, I just thought it would all be like set dressing. You know, references to the comic would just be like, oh, a fun thing for people that care about that type oh, no. of thing. But no, it's like you actually have to have read it. It I matters. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. It. I mean, I, I think it at, at least would aid the experience because like I, Dr. Manhattan, the way he's written in that last episode, which is really the only time you get dialogue from him. It's he's not that compelling unless you already know John Osterman's story. But and he's like, also not that compelling. Like. In the movie, let's say. Well, his character is flat because he's completely dehumanized yeah. or on the verge of that. Yeah. But that affectation is like kind of what what is compelling about his character. It's not exciting, but knowing how Dr. Manhattan got to be the way that he is, is one of the best parts of the comic and the movie. Yeah, but then after that, you're like, oh, great origin story. Bye. You're done. You're boring. You, you flat man. Yeah, he doesn't have a lot to add emotionally after that because no, he doesn't charging, give a shit about anything. He's not charging the story forward at all. So you're no. like, we don't need this. Right. You're a deus ex machina that has to be banished. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we talked about this a little last night, but the, the clever inversion that I really did appreciate was the, the flipping of the Vite character and the Manhattan character. Like, Vite becomes the one who is now bored um, and less human. Yeah. And Dr. Manhattan wants to regain his humanity. Again. Through, like, reliving his past. Plan A is just waiting longer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Just watch the watch the television show. Yeah, watch the show. It's a good show. Watch I the mean, television show, and then look at Adrian Veidt and be like, he is the smartest man in the world. Yeah, Fuck. yeah, it's true. Slowest now, not very fast anymore. Yeah, what happened to that? Why don't they do that? Why don't they do the speed thing? Just have a fast old man. Uh, I don't know. I mean, the the, the super heroic powers in Watchmen are like not that much of a thing, except for Doctor Manhattan's character. Everybody else is just kind of like peak physique. They don't really. No, but the thing in the comic about, like, in the shooting, remember there's, like, a shooting, and then he's, like, real fast and, like, takes all the people out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. He's an old man. I don't I don't think, you know, it's sort of like Robert De Niro in The Irishman when he kicks that guy in the face, and you're like, oh, you de-aged his face, but he moves like a 79-year-old man. Yeah, what? You don't want to see that Okay, ever. so I stayed up a little bit later once that was started. That is the most unsettling fucking movie I've ever goddamn seen. Because of the de-aging stuff, yeah. Oh, no. Oh. We have reached peak, yeah, yeah, we have reached peak Uncanny Valley. I don't like it. It's freaky. Everybody's too tan. They can't get the lighting right. And I'm not paying attention to any dialogue because I'm looking at everyone's face and going, what the fuck is this? Like, I like that movie. I think it's fine. Um, the Irishman. But... The de-aging thing was a mistake. They just shouldn't have done that at all. They should have just cast younger actors and like figured it out because it's really distracting, and it, and it's not necessary. They're all they're all orange, like they ate too many carrots. Like in a weird way, they're like we de-aged everyone, but we didn't match the lighting temperature of the room. And you're like, what the fuck's going on? And the, like the the th- the reason I think that it sucks is they sort of sp- um, Martin Scorsese and Netflix decided to like do an entire de aging movie before the technology was ready, or they didn't devote enough time or like resources to it because that kind of stuff is good in isolation. Like the Peter Cushing stuff in Rogue One is awesome and looks really good, but he's only in five minutes of the movie. Yeah, and for now it's not the whole thing. Yeah, for now that's what it's good for, but it's incredibly distracting over the course of three and a half hours when it's like constantly Joe in your Pesci face. looking like Botox filled yeah. to hell. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Wait, did we ever talk about the the full this thing on the docket of the full uh, hologram version of James Dean in a movie? No. They're, Explain that to me. I don't even know. Just going to basically about. like make, make a James Dean movie with wow, animated James Dean. They're just like, going to yeah, wow, they're just going to animate him over like a stand-in. Yeah. Wow, that's insane. Is his, his estate is on board with this, well, I, I assume? Know. I don't know. Because that that was a big deal when the Peter Cushing thing happened is Peter Cushing's estate decided to cooperate with Disney and with ILM to do this. But people were raising a lot of like ethical qualms with that saying like, "Well, he doesn't have any say in this and like you're it's a true puppet yeah well and the obvious thing to say is like look at pornography and deep fakes where like yeah people have no say in that and you can go in a you know what a deep fake is oh you play plop someone's head on someone else getting railed yeah and it like looks pretty good oh. all, all things considered and so you know it's one thing to have peter cushing in a star wars movie like to me that's not that big of an ethical deal like fine but yeah like making an entire movie with james dean and like how do you say starring, like, why don't they just say starring animators at? Oh, for sure. You know, it's just an animated film at that point. Like, why not just do that and say that? Why does it have to be this weird, like, in-between space of, oh, no, we have the actor. It's like, no, you don't. You have data. Right. Like, it's not. Well, it's you... just a, yeah, it's a Disney. It's Pixar, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, and you can see the dystopian future coming right down the pike where it's like, uh, well, no, there's no reason to really have actors anymore. Yeah. Not stars, because we can just pay stand-ins, like, you know, $50,000. Yeah. 
because they don't really have to act. No, but all you need is like people to be like, I'm famous because I'm clone stamped onto other things. Well, and the impact, like it's already having this type of impact on culture, monoculture, where, oh, so we'll just not have any new things ever again. Everything will just be rehashes of people's nostalgia for James Dean or But is whatever. there any nostalgia for that? Like, I don't get why. The, like, I think there is for boomers and stuff. Yeah, sure. But they would probably be weirded out by like a CGI thing. Yeah. Although they wouldn't know that it was necessarily, you know. Yeah, they would. I mean. I don't know. People don't put that shit together. I saw Rogue One with people that didn't even realize that it was CG. Peter Cushing. Hmm. I guess James Dean's a little bit different because everybody like is 40s. hyper yeah, aware that he's 40s. dead. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been done dead for t- so long. Jesus Christ, I just kicked the table. Um, he's been so dead that it's like, what are we going to do? Like, It's like saying, like, oh, well, Whitney Houston drops a new album next week. And you're like, excuse? Yeah, I mean, you could see that extending to any sphere. But really, they just took, like, all the pitches. Like, all right. the, they like took all the notes you ever sang and then just, like, can reconstitute them in any way shape or form which you can probably do yeah yeah well like have you ever heard the joe rogan ai that somebody made why are you asking me like Uh, i would see this out well because it kind of it got memed in a broader way than being about joe rogan it's just that they chose joe rogan because he has so many thousands of hours of recorded material that as a voice sample you can make an ai say whatever you want joe rogan to say with the proper inflection i mean it sounds perfect hmm it sounds like an episode of his show down to, like, the rhythm of the hour, even. You oh, know? God. Like, it's not that hard to get get that done. That's also... Because audio is pretty yeah. easy. Um, but they've even started to do that with videos. Like, there was an Obama deepfake for a while. Or, it oh, still yeah, exists. Yeah. But um, that was just a demonstration by this company that was like, this we could can be this, potentially yeah. dangerous. Which is um, like, why show people that? Stop it. Well, it's going to get out one way or another, yeah, you know? Um it's better to be like, look, it might be fit. We don't know. Right, right. Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I could very easily see Hollywood like getting around all of their unions and stuff. Because like, what do you need writers for when AIs can effectively do that? What do you need actors for when you can just CGI people? Like, movies are going to become even more trash than they already are. Like, it's decayed so quickly in the last couple of years. But when you don't even really need human involvement to make your product anymore yeah yeah it's bad most people will just lap it up like i think we mentioned it on here the one time but like adam sandler uh his last movie on netflix was like the most popular thing they ever put out a new movie called something jewels or something that actually looks really good where he's the he's the like jewish diamond dealer that's the movie you're talking about right I guess I don't know what it's called. It's, the the thing is, jewels. Yeah, yeah. I forget the title of it, but the thing the thing about it is, it's not his movie. They did like a punch drunk love thing, He's just in it, where it's like choice casting, um, which is fine. I like that. I mean, it's the same reason I like a lot of Jim Carrey movies. Is that when he's well cast in like a drama or something, he's great. Adam Sandler's the same way. Punch drunk, punch drunk love is a great movie, but it's because it's a Paul Thomas Anderson movie starring Adam Sandler. It's not an Adam Sandler movie. <sighs> no, you know? yeah, it's very different from something something the gohan you don't mess don't mess with the zohan i actually never saw that one that was a later period was that adam sandler it was about a um hairdresser israeli hairdresser that's like an idf special agent (laughs) which you know problematic it must no it must be pretty pro-israel if um you know the producers let's call them allowed this to happen okay all right 
Is this a good place to stop? I, I actually, I actually do have to go. I'm being back in. I right have now. to pee so badly. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. We're we're all over an hour. Okay. Great. Okay. Great. Wrap that was a that was a fun one. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.